doing all right this morning? It's a good morning? It's supposed to be hot today, 90 degrees. So prep for that. As Kevin, Kevin said, I am one of the pastoral residents, so this is part of it. So what that, what that looks like for the next 40 minutes is um, you guys get the, get the great opportunity to listen to me talk, and I get to wear a face mic where you can't interrupt me. How about that? Just kidding. You can interrupt if you want, but if you do, Wes will bounce you out. I'm just kidding. That was my first opener joke. It kind of fell, fell bad, didn't it? <clears throat> anyway... Uh, to get started this morning, if you would, turn to Jonah, uh, Jonah 1. It's going to be uh, verse 7 through 16. We're going to finish out where Luke started last week. If you have one of our, our Bibles that we give to our guests, it's on page 658. And it's actually, you can't, it's 658 or 659. It's only two pages long in this one. So very short. Um, but just, just turn there and check that out for me, if you will. And, and while you're turning there, I just wanted to, I just want to talk and just bring you up to speed in case you missed last week or... You were out where, where we were at in our text. But basically what's happened is Jonah has been called to preach, to preach against the wickedness that's going on in Nineveh. And instead of going there, he's decided to go down to the dock and buy a ticket and take a cruise, right? He's going he's gonna to go 2,000 miles in the other direction to, um, uh, gosh, I just went blank, to Tarshish. So um, that's where we're at. And, and basically he's on the boat. The storm is, is crazy. Everybody's panicking, right? That's all going down. And, and, and they begin hurling cargo over the side. They begin tossing stuff in the water, which, which any human, if you've ever been on a boat and it's ever taken on water or anybody's even thought, I don't care if you're on a little John boat or a, or a big yacht, if it's ever started to take on water, you immediately think, what can I get off of the boat, right? So <clears throat> they've begun doing that. And understand that they've done that. Um, and they've, they've thrown over stuff that's probably was going to Tarshish for a reason. They probably were paid to take it there maybe, or they're going to get paid when they get there by delivering that stuff. So this is, a, this is something, something that's not common for these mariners. Um, but he's, he's gone down, Jonah has gone down below and gone to sleep, and the captain has gone down to get him up. And that's where, we, that's where we're at. So read, follow along with me, the text on the screen. But verse 7 says, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was feeling, fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Verse 11. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. I want, I want you to focus today um, on the word hurl. There, there's going to show up multiple times in our text. And I want you to understand the, the, the power it takes to hurl things, right? If you ever had to hurl things, it's not like you're just tossing it, right? You're not just chunking it. I mean, you're picking something up and you're hurling. These guys are hurling things. You'll see that throughout the text today. It says, then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on, his, on us <clears throat> innocent blood. For you, 
O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. You pray with me real quick. God, come to you this morning just, just humbled and thankful, God, to be here. Lord, I just pray that um, your Holy Spirit does a mighty work today in hearts, God. I pray that you would, you would break us, God. Um, just break us, God, to show <clears throat> and show us your, your loving heart, God, that, that, that your son came to die and that you sent, you sent your Holy Spirit to be with us and to empower us, God. And I pray that, that lives and hearts would be changed today, God. If there are people in this room that don't know you, God, I pray that they know you. And I pray, God, that you remove, remove me and my, and my words from this, God. And I pray that you would speak through me, God, and that it would be more of you and less of me up here this morning, God. And people would see you in your face. Let me pray. Amen. So what we're going to look at today, um, it's going to be kind of weird. We are preaching on Jonah, but I'm not going to really talk about Jonah. Is that okay with everybody? Because everybody knows the story, right? Jonah was a prophet. Ooh, ooh. Right? Veggie tales. Anybody? Veggie tales. Okay, so... Really what I want to talk about is storms and, and the reaction to those storms. When we moved to Knoxville, we're from Texas, and we've only been here a couple months. But when we moved here, um, we experienced our first storm, right? And so we're, we're laying there getting ready for bed. The, the, the emergency alerts start going off on the phones. I start panicking because in Texas we don't get storms, or our part, we get, we get dust storms. And they don't typically pick up houses and drop them other places. So not too worried about it, but here I had heard, and so I started becoming fearful, right? The emergency alert's going off. I immediately start panicking. I'm pacing. I'm going, what do we do? What do we get? What do we need to do? We need to, we need to get downstairs. We need to get in a closet. Can we all fit in the closet? Do we need a mattress? Do we need water bottles? What do we need to do, right? We're just running around. Do we wake up the kids? So we, we end up downstairs in our basement. Kids are smashed between the washer and dryer, right, in the, in the laundry room. We're laying, my wife and I are laying on air mattresses in our basement, and I'm waking up every hour checking the weather, right? Total panic. Total just, and, and if you've lived here more than three weeks, which at the time we hadn't, you guys probably slept through all of it, right? Y'all were like, whatever, God. I mean, we talked to people the next day. I mean, Luke was like, bro, I didn't even know it went off, man. I'm sorry. You know, he's like, well, I don't know what to tell you. So anyway, that, that was our first experience with this, right? But I, that's just a, a fun story. But what I want to look at is the reaction to storms and the, and the mariners specifically. Um, and <clears throat> verse five, got this on the screen says, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. So, I mean, this is, this is not early on in the storm, but it's during, during the storm. And I know a lot of you have, have stories of storms. And when I say storms, just things that are, that are going on in your lives or have gone on. Um, in particular for me and Brandy, when we started attending church and started following Jesus, we got hit with our first storm. And our storm was, we were, financially, we were fine. We were good. But um, she, she lost that job. She was making very good money working for a successful home building company in Midland. And she lost that job. And if any of you know the market and the economy in Texas, it's out of control. So we were doing okay. And um, when she lost that job, we weren't, we weren't prepared for it, right? And so we began trying to hurl things, right? We need to sell the car. We need to sell the house. We need to sell a kid. We need to do something, right? And we couldn't pay our bills. I mean, we were going, what are we going to do? I was a firefighter. If any of you guys are firefighters in here or know a firefighter, we don't make a lot of money. We didn't make a lot of money. I'm not a firefighter any longer, obviously. But, um, <clears throat> excuse me. 
But at what point do we start hurling stuff overboard, right? What point? Is it early on? Is it after we've, we've been beaten down for a while by it that we start hurling stuff? But what do we hurl? What are some of the things we get rid of? And we look at things and we say, if I get rid of these things, storms won't come. If I get rid of these things, storms will go away, right? And that's possessions. So you're looking at a car, right? I've got to get rid of my car. I've got to get rid of my mortgage. I've got to sell my house. I've got to chunk this overboard. I've got to hurl this. I've got to get it out of here. We think about our, just our, 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 the small bills, right? Cable, chunk cable. Because maybe it's robbing us of time. Or maybe it is because it's costing us 30 bucks a month and we could use that for gas. Or the, or the internet. Maybe, you're, maybe your storm is a porn addiction or a, or a, or a shopping addiction, right? And you, you've got to get rid of that internet. You've got to get rid of it to get it out of there. <clears throat> maybe it's Facebook. Maybe you're... And just real quick up front, isn't it weird that I even have to mention Facebook? I mean... Socially, it's just weird. Like, that's become so ingrained. I was having a conversation with Dave the other day that Facebook has become so ingrained in us that it's now part of, part of life, right? So, so what, if, what if that's it? What about community? What about, I can't meet with those people one more day this week because it's, Rob, it's taken up too much of my time, right? <clears throat> Listen, I mean, some of you need to, need to get rid of these things. I'm not saying that don't, don't sell your car or get rid of your internet because you've got, you know, issues. I'm not saying, I'm saying that some of you need to get rid of those things, but understand it won't calm the storm, right? I mean, selling your car is temporary fix. It may fix it for a little bit, but there's going to be another bill right around the corner. And that's what we learned. You'll, you'll struggle with time in your family, the ownership of things. You'll always struggle with those. <clears throat> your porn addiction will be there. Even if you hurl that job that's costing you time into the storm, the new one you get will still rob you of time of your family. That's right. <clears throat> let's look at, let's move on and look at verse, uh, verse 13 for the rowing. This is where the sailors really start. They're hurling things. Now they're going to start working to try to save themselves, right? Nevertheless, says verse 13 says, Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Um, Brandy and I walked through our marriage, we've been married 13 years, and we walked through, this is a little bit of a, not, hopefully not a me sermon, but just to give you a little bit of our background, we walked through two separations, right? One, one in 2005, the first separation was in 2005. Jesus was nowhere near the center of our marriage, nowhere near it. We didn't, we didn't know him. I grew up in church. He grew up churched. And when we, when we reconciled and came back together, we consistently tried to fix it ourselves. We, our, we set our gaze on us and not on him. And we were self-righteous, so we tried to fix it on our own. What can we do to fix this? And, in, and we spent the next three years, and it ultimately ended in another separation, almost divorce. But, but God obviously had other plans for that, as we know. But the mariners, in the same sense, the mariners rode hard. They were trying to save themselves. The harder they rode, the more out of control the storm got. And that's what we saw. The more we tried to fix ourselves, the crazier it got. But how often do we do that? How often do we row hard to fix ourselves? We hurl things overboard, and then we work hard to row. And if I do these things, these storms won't come. So we just talked about if I get rid of these things, storms won't come. Now we're talking about if I just do these things. So religious responses. What if I, what if I just wave at my neighbor and smile at them? Then I won't have to invite them to a community group. Right? If that's good enough, right? I can just wave. Hey, how's it going? What if I, what if I tithe a little bit more? I give a little bit more money to the church. That'll calm the storm and the raging. 
Or if I just go to church. What if I just go to church? Religious responses, right? Maybe if I just serve at the UT campus with Wes one more day a week, that'll make this storm go away. You believe yourself that you can save your marriage, you can save your jobs, you can save, you can get more jobs, right? You can get another, another job to pay the bills. You can't beat the storm, and Jonah is evident of that, evidence of that, right? I mean, Jonah, not Jonah himself, but the book. The book, the story of Jonah is evidence of that. You can't. And God doesn't want, he doesn't want your works. He wants your heart. That's what he's after. Because all things are of him, by him, and for him, right? And so he wants your, he wants your heart. In verse 5, it says, that, it says that the sailors cried out to their gods. It says the mariners, then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his god. When I was prepping for this, I came across a, a quote and a commentary I wanted to share with you guys. It says, the sailors were petrified. I think I have it, yeah. The sailors were petrified. They thought they were going to die. Like so many in our own culture, they had no hope of anything beyond the grave. No hope beyond the grave. I hope that, hope that sits with some of you today. There's, these guys had no hope beyond the grave. Their faith in their gods was sincere enough, but each one was unable to offer any assurance as to what might await any individual follower when life ended. In short, they were no gods, unable to answer prayer in life, what hope was there for the final prayer in death. And so for the sailors, it was ultimately the fear of the unknown, and for them, nothing was more unknown than death itself. You know, God, God gave me an opportunity a long time ago um, to, to go into ministry. And, and I was 18, and I decided to take a different path, and I ran from him. I spent 14 years running from him, right? <clears throat> I spent 14 years hurling my own tackle into my own storms trying to fix myself. If I, you know, I tell myself, I just stop, you know, if I stop looking at, looking at porn, my, 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 you know, everything will be fixed. You know, if I stop, if I stop drinking, right? If I stop, if I stop doing all these things, did I, did I need to stop doing those things? Absolutely. Every one of those things was sinful. It was, it was, it was sin. But it's not, it's not about stopping the behavior as much as it is about changing your heart. You have to change your heart. But when the storm, for me, when the storm is so out of control, one night it, it, it all, it all grew, right? And it, I was left to myself and my own sin, my own disgust. And I was contemplating taking my own life because that's where I was at. I thought it better to be die, better to be die, better to be dead than continue living the lie. But when I finally died to myself and my own sin and called on God, he saved me. He rescued me, right? Redeemed me. And I'm so thankful that he didn't turn his back on me. I'm so thankful that he didn't, he met me where I was at, right? I was, where I was at. Thank God he didn't, he didn't. He didn't just walk away and wait till I turned to him. He came to me. <clears throat> and every, every disobedient step, every time I hurled another piece of meaningless cargo into the storm, I mean, every time I cried to another God, he showed up and he, he brought me here through that. He brought me here to, to pastor this city and help lead this church. And I'm so thankful for it. <clears throat> but it. But it came down to that. I was... I was at the end of my rope. I, you know, I was ready to end it all, ready to lose my children, my wife, my life. Just like the mariners, I was ready to commit murder, right, to calm the storm. They're ready to throw Jonah. They've got to throw this man in the sea to calm the storm. So I understand, and I can, I can, I can uh, sympathize with the sailors, the mariners. <clears throat> but some of you today, and I don't know everybody in here, I don't know where everybody's at spiritually or 
or where your heart's at, but some of you are enemies of God today. There are enemies of God in here. You're, you're spiritually dead and you're the mariner. You've got other idols that you worship. You've got other things you try to do. And, and you're not, we need to understand too, friends, we're not Jonah either. Okay, we need to, we need to get that. We're not Jonah. We're the idol-worshiping mariners that, that need an answer to a raging storm. Right? We're also not reformed Jonah. We're not a reformed Jonah. We're, we're, we're in the end of the story. We're also the Ninevites that need rescuing. We're all over the place, but we're not Jonah. So what does it mean? What does it all mean? Some of you are probably thinking, I've heard this story since the time I was a baby. I get it. He got swallowed by a fish, right? Luke talked about that last week. And what I want you to understand and walk away with today is that God is sovereign. It's a big, scary word, sovereignty. There's another quote from from the commentary that I was reading. It says, there are several miracles in the passage, not just one. God's control of the sea, bringing a great storm, shows he controls nature. When lots were cast to determine who had offended God, God brought the unusual storm. Jonah was chosen. And when Jonah was thrown overboard, the storm stopped. So why then be surprised when the text tells us God provided a great fish to swallow Jonah or that he was preserved alive in its belly? Either God is fully capable of controlling all events in this world, or he is not. It's not the miracles of Scripture that are questionable, but the critics' limited view of who God is. In verse 4, we see that God sent the storm. It says he used the storm to pursue Jonah. I'm sorry, it doesn't say that. I'm saying he used the storm to pursue Jonah. But the Lord, in verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the the ship threatened to break up. Storms are inevitable and they will come. Okay? <clears throat> spouses, spouses will die. Right? Children will die. Cancer will invade bodies. Maybe, maybe I mean, divorces will happen. Maybe it's just the day-to-day life. Maybe it's not that serious. Maybe it's just homeschooling your kids. Maybe it's um, just getting the dishes done is your storm. Storms look different for everybody. Maybe it's jobs. Maybe you've, got, maybe you've got job. I know there's a lot of job, you know, needs in this congregation. Maybe it's adultery. Maybe it is that serious. Alcoholism, diseases. I'm sure we've, as I read that list, I mean, I could go on and on. I'm sure we've all experienced one of those. You know, in myself, I'm, I've got like seven of those, right? I mean, alcoholism, divorce, cancer. I've experienced all that in some form or fashion in my family. And I'm sure, that, <clears throat> I'm sure that you've been told in your storms that, that you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. We've all heard that. I've said that. That's what it said to me. But you need to understand that's a lie. Okay? And I say that today because God will give you more than you can handle or you would never, you would never rely on him. You would never turn to him. Right? You would never cry out to him if he didn't give you more than you could handle. And it's not because he's mean or angry. I mean, we, we can get into all that, but I'm just saying that the simple fact is that he loves us and he pursues us in the storm. But your response to the storm says exactly what you believe to be true about the gospel at the heart level. I'm not talking about the head level. A lot of, there, I mean, no, there's a lot of guys in here that are way, way smarter than me when it comes to theology. And I'm not talking about your head. I'm talking about your heart. 
what you believe when these storms come and the gospel that you preach to yourself, I'm sorry, to yourself and to your family says exactly what you believe to be true about the gospel. And if you're running to yourself and trying to fix it yourself and trying to, trying to create, you know, the fix, the solution, you're preaching a false gospel to yourself and to your family because he is the only answer. He's the only answer. Your self-works are worthless. I'm not trying to beat you down. I'm just trying to tell you that if you're, if you're trying to fix it, it's not going to work. We can't save ourselves. I spent, we, for us, our storm is always finances. In my family, it's always finances. You know, even when we had money, we never got ahead, you know. And God showed up and we had to learn this lesson. We're having to learn this lesson over and over again. I would go get two and three jobs, never slept. You know, everybody's like, when do you sleep? I'm like, I don't sleep. I don't have to, you know. I just eat a lot of granola bars. Keeps me going, as y'all can see. I like to eat. So, <laughs> I'm just being honest. But Jesus is the greater Jonah. We know that. Tim Keller teaches that. <clears throat> in, uh, and you don't have to turn here, but in, in 1 John 2.2, Jesus is described as the propitiation for our sins. And I, I, just being honest here, I totally, I just found out what propitiation is. So, when I say that, don't freak out. All, all propitiation means is the wrath that was due to you was paid for by someone else, right? That's a simple, simple definition. And that's what first, in 1 John, that's what it's saying. It says in the previous verse of 1 John 2 is, he is our advocate with the Father. If we, if we need an advocate with God, if we need an advocate, then our position, our position is indeed a dangerous one, right? We are in deep, dire peril. We need a Savior. And all it, all it helps us to see is that the propitiation is to be taken here in its usual sense. Jesus' activity for men is described as turning away the divine wrath. Some people, I've heard it taught, some people teach it's almost like God, you know, Jesus on the cross had like a Captain America shield or something. And he was like, you know, he absorbed all that. He absorbed the entire weight of God's wrath. There was no, there was no shield deflecting it. It wasn't like he didn't take all of it and there's some left over. It's not about that. He took it all. There had to be a propitiation made for the storm. Just like there has to be a propitiation made for the storms you walked through yesterday, the ones today, and the ones you'll face tomorrow. There has to be an answer. Jonah was the propitiation for the mariners, right, in their storm. The only thing that would calm the storm is if those sailors hurled that man into the sea. And just real quick, this this is totally a side note, but... I'm reading through this story. It's like right after that happens, it's like nobody, they don't talk about the mariners anymore, right? We don't hear anything. But think about that. You just, you hurl another human being over the side of the boat, right? This has, I mean, I'm just, sorry, I'm rabbit trailing, but it, then you're, you're standing there watching this happen, right? And the next thing you're thinking, oh my gosh, this guy's going to drown. And then a whale or a fish swallows this dude. Like, can you imagine? Like, I'm like, I'm reading the story going, what were they thinking? You know, I mean, I, just going through their head, I, I wander like that when I read, but um, I'll get back to this. But <clears throat> Jesus, Jesus is the only sacrifice that would satisfy God. And, and reading this, I feel like a large reason the story is in the Bible is because Jonah points to Jesus being a propitious offering thrown into a bigger sea. It's a great story. And what I want you to know is you don't have to hurl tackle. You know, you don't have to hurl your cargo. You don't have to stop your own storm anymore. You need to row, row because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, 
Not because of what it will do to gain protection from his wrath or what it saves you from and to. Only Jesus can do that. Right? But what about future storms? i got to get a drink. Sorry. Excuse me. What about future storms? So we know that storms are going to come. They're inevitable. Nobody's immune to them. He's given, us, he's given us his Holy Spirit to comfort us and empower us in the storm. Okay? But real quick, what do you do, what do, you do with community? You know, we're big. Kevin talked about that. We're, we're, we're a big, big on community here at Legacy. So what, what do you do in, in community when something happens to those that are in your community? How do you respond to their storm? How do you help them, right? And I'm not, I don't mean in a weird way to be propitious or like fix it. I'm not saying that. But how do you respond to people when they're walking out storms in their, in their life? Other people, people you're doing life with or supposed to be doing life with. What about mission? And when I say mission, I mean, I mean mission, getting out in the city, doing things with people. All of our community groups, you know, have a mission that they should be doing and trying to reach the city of Knoxville. So what do you... How do you respond to that? How do you respond um, when there's people across the street? I'm sure some of you are tired of me talking about the laundromat ministry, but I love it. I love that ministry because of the people you get to meet. Um, My wife and I went on a mission trip to Africa two years ago. Got to go to Ethiopia. I was talking to a guy about it this morning. Enjoyed it. Loved it. Um, But I can walk right across the street and, and meet people from the Congo. can meet people from Jamaica. And... They're great people. And they, they're walking through storms right now. They don't have jobs. They don't have money. And that's what we do. We serve those people. And it's a great opportunity. So just look, two things, just look at, your, look at your response to your community and how you handle and run and, and help those people when they're, in, when they're in peril or also on the mission field. <clears throat> but there's really, there's, there's three types of people I want to talk to in here today. It's not... It's not a. It's not anything fancy. I just want to. If you don't. If you don't hear anything. If you don't hear anything today, I want you to hear this. This last part for me, please. Okay. There are those in here who. Three types of people. There are those in here that really, you never really. You've never really grasped the depth of your own depravity. You don't get it. Talking about. <clears throat> talking about storms and, and merciful wrath that's ungodly and unloving. It just, you, it doesn't sit well with you, right? It's offensive to you. You don't understand how offensive you are to God and the good news is not good news to you because you think you deserve it. You don't deserve it. Jonah, Jonah thought he was good until he wound up in the belly of a fish, Okay? God doesn't owe us anything. But you're in here. You've done religious things. You, you, you grew up religious. And so you look in the mirror and face the fact that you're a depraved, wretched sinner. You won't understand the gospel because you think you deserve it instead of need it. The second group are people that realize how sinful you are, but you don't realize how much infinitely more gracious God is. You're too bad for God to love you. You wallow in self-pity and you, you play the victim card often. He can't forgive me because of all the things I've done. He won't forgive me. He can't love me because I've done this, this, or this. 
You don't understand grace of an infinite God that meets us where we're at and pursues us even in our sin and self-righteousness. And I'm not, I'm not beating up on you, I promise. I'm not trying to do that. <clears throat> and the last group, you get it. You, the gospel, you understand the gospel at the head level, but at the heart level, it hasn't fallen. It hasn't fallen all the way in you. Right? I've heard, I've heard another, another pastor preach. It's kind of like a Coke machine. You put the quarter in, and it drops down, right? Well, we put the quarter in, but it hasn't, it hasn't hit you in the heart. And without, without that gospel reaching your heart, it comes across cold when you're talking to people. I know these groups, all three of these groups I know well because they're me. It's my life story, right? I grew up religious. I didn't get it. I thought God owed me something. But then when I understood it, I became a man that thought I was too far gone. And at one point in my life, I couldn't walk through church doors because I thought, because I thought, you know, what I've done, I mean, I'm too bad for God to save me. I can't do this. But then I got it. And I became really prideful in my theology. It got real ugly. You know, I was booting people off my Facebook page, right? Because they didn't agree with me. I was having those harsh conversations when we should be talking about God and Jesus and how much he loves us. I refused to let the gospel fall any deeper in my heart. But understand today that God is pursuing you even in the storm, whatever that storm looks like for you. Maybe he's, maybe he sent the storm to expose your sin. Maybe he, maybe the storm is raging because at the heart level, you don't believe the gospel to be true. That's where my, my storm was because he, you know, he wanted to expose my sin. <clears throat> if this is you today, know that you're, you're one step away from knowing love like you've never known. He's pursuing you and wants you to turn from the lies of the enemy. He wants your, he wants your heart. Right? Kevin talked about we do communion. We do communion at the end. Um, and I really, I really love that here because the idea behind that is that the, the preaching, is my, my words are just words, but the, the Holy Spirit to minister to you through his word and then allow him to continue to minister to you in worship. But I'm, I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to beg just to beg. I want to plead with you guys. You know, God loves you. He wants your heart. Stop trying to fix your own storm and let him, let him comfort you and fix your storm. Let him be the one that you run to. Don't run, don't run to other things or to yourself. Run to him. It's simple. <clears throat>